Hello and welcome to the Vetfolio Podcast. My name is Matthew Lyon and I'll be serving as your host. Thank you for joining us for this special podcast series on financial planning, brought to you by Vetfolio and Hills Pet Nutrition. During this four-part series, we'll explore how you can make the most of your money and some unique opportunities for those in the veterinary profession. Our guest speaker for this exciting topic is Stith Kaiser, the business manager for My Veterinary Career for the American Animal Hospital Association. Stith founded My Veterinary Career in 2007 and began supporting the profession through the organization's efforts to connect professionals with practices across North America looking for talented individuals. Stith's industry experience includes facilitating workshops and speaking at national and local veterinary conferences. Additionally, he conducts career development-related workshops for Veterinary Business Management Association and student chapters of the AVMA. Stith is a member of the Veterinary Partners, chair of the Career Development Special Interest Group, and serves on the American Animal Hospital Association's recent graduate task force. Now join me in welcoming Stith as we explore the topic of Budgeting 101. Welcome to our first session, Budgeting 101, in our personal finance series. Today, we'll be talking about the importance of a budget, how to utilize one to build personal financial security, and tips for managing your money as a student or recent graduate. You may have heard the saying, it's hard to know how to get somewhere if you don't even know where you're going. In finance, where we're going, we're going to refer to as our number. And basically, our number or your number is the number you need to be at to have the quality of life you want when you retire. I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute, but first let me tell you why it even matters. I had lunch with a friend of mine just a couple months ago who has been a practice owner for 33 years. He owns a seven-doctor, multi-million-dollar practice, and after 33 years in practice, he has decided it's time to retire. He had the practice valued by a professional firm, and this multi-million-dollar practice came back worth nothing more than a few hundred thousand dollars. As you can imagine, he was shocked. Not only shocked because it hurt his pride that this practice he'd worked so hard for for so long was not worth much on paper, but even more importantly, by the time he settled his liabilities and leases he had on equipment, he was going to walk away from the practice with almost nothing. So here's someone who's in his upper 60s. He and his wife have been waiting for 33 years to retire, and he's just found out he can't give her and they can't have the quality of life they want because he didn't know what his number was, and he wasn't working, whether through the practice or through additional strategies, to arrive at that. When we talk about your number, it's important to understand that we arrive at our number through a collection of income-producing assets. Now, I use the word income-producing assets for a reason. Income-producing asset means it's something that you don't have to touch. You don't have to go sell to get income from it. So, for example, if you own a practice and you're getting checks, that's an income-producing asset. If you have a cattle operation, for example, that's an income-producing asset. They are worth something. Even though we don't make much money off of cattle, or at least most of us don't, there's still money coming in every single month. The stock market, we put our money in the stock market, we leave it there, and then hopefully every month, depending on the stock market, every year we are getting a return from that. An income-producing asset is not your house. Unless you're renting your house, it's not an income-producing asset. Your vehicle, not an income-producing asset. A lot of people want to look at things they own and think, well, this is my net worth. These are things that are going to produce me income. And an income-producing asset is only things where you can leave the principal or the initial money alone and make money back from it. 
Now that we understand what an income-producing asset is, let's talk about what those mean when it comes to arriving at our number. Again, our number is the salary or the livable wage that you want to have when you retire to have the quality of life that you want. This number is going to vary for every single person. Some people, they want a lifestyle, they can travel a lot. For other people, it's philanthropy. Other people want to be able to put money aside to get their grandkids through college. What you do with the money is going to vary, but there's going to be some amount that you want annually to provide you the quality of life. The easiest way to come up with what that number is is a simple formula. We're going to talk here in a minute about some different income-producing assets, as I mentioned earlier, but to give you an example of a few right now, your practice could be one. You could own real estate, for example, and rent that out. You could own cattle. Every investment is going to have a different rate of return. In real estate, for example, I think 7% is about average. The stock market over time is about 10%. If you're running a cow-calf operation, about 2%. As you can tell, the numbers are kind of scattered depending on what asset we're talking about. So for simple math and the formula that we're going to talk about here, I want you to assume a 5% return on investment, which means that for every dollar you put in at the end of the year, you're getting five cents back from that. Now we'll back into some math from there. If you want $100,000 a year to live on when you retire, you need to have $2 million of income-producing assets. I'm taking $2 million of income-producing assets, times 5%, that gives us $100,000 a year. If you want $75,000 a year to live on, you would need 1.5. And again, if you want $150,000 to live on when you retire, you need to have 3 million income-producing assets. You are all smart. You're veterinarians. And so you can do the math pretty quickly and realize that as an associate veterinarian, if all you do is you know spend your money kind of willy-nilly and put a little bit aside for savings, it's going to be very hard, even over a 30-year career, to amass enough money in the bank doing nothing but taking a paycheck every month. The question then is, how are we going to reach our number? I am not a financial advisor, which means it's not my job to tell you where to invest your money. My goal today is to encourage you to think outside of this employee associate box and create a portfolio of investments, ones that I have seen successful in my own life as well as those and other veterinary professionals that I would encourage you to look at One, practice ownership. For those of you interested in that, and we're going to talk uh, about that specifically in a different session, but practice ownership can be a a very valuable piece of that financial puzzle. Real estate. I've got a good friend down in Texas, and he's a practicing veterinarian and owns about 25 rental homes. So he's a veterinarian. He's pursuing his passion in vet med, but he knows he needs more than just that income to arrive at his number, and so he started getting into real estate. I've got a friend who is a fifth-generation rancher down in southwest Colorado. So in addition to being a practice owner, she also helps oversee this large cattle operation. The stock market's another one. Retirement accounts, when you become an associate or if you're already an associate, making sure you contribute to your 401Ks, especially if there's matching involved, we'll talk more about later, is a critical piece of the puzzle. The more traditional means of putting our money aside, like a savings account, for example, If you look at your return there, you're less than about 1%. So there's a lot of different options out there for where to put your money. And the key, and we'll talk about strategies for how to do this, but the key is to find things you're passionate about and knowledgeable about and to diversify. We talked about the importance of your number. Now let's talk about specific steps to achieve it. This session is titled Budgeting 101, and you guessed it. We're going to start with creating a budget. Because until we know where we're going and what our number is, we have no hope of getting there. After we talk about a budget, we're going to talk about investment strategies to help you reach that budget and help you reach that number. We actually have a couple of sessions we're going to explore that in more depth. On budgeting, 
My first piece of advice is don't recreate the wheel. If you get on Google and you Google University of Minnesota budgeting tool, they have done a phenomenal job of coming up with a veterinary-specific budget, which can be found right through Googling what I just mentioned. The American Animal Hospital Association has some great tools for budgeting. Vetfolio does. Vetvance does. Don't try to go start your own Excel sheet with a veterinary-specific budget when we've already got great ones that exist for no charge at all. Once we have a budget, let's start thinking about what we know. Not too long ago, I was sitting down with a friend who was going over her budget for the first time, and I said, let's start with the given. And at this point, she was just a student, so her income, quote-unquote, were loans. But as a recent graduate, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what your income is. So let's start with that. That's something that's not going to change a lot. Now, granted, if you're on pro sales and associate, you may get a little bit more here and there. But let's start with what we know, our base salary, and work backwards. Once we have our income figured out, the next thing to look at is expenses. We have two major types of expenses on a budget. You have your fixed and your variable. Fixed expenses are things that pretty much month in and month out, we're going to have to pay that bill, and we know what it is. So a car payment, for example, or a loan payment if you're a recent grad, you're paying off your loans. Uh, insurance, whether it's health or liability, the practice doesn't cover that. Things like rent or mortgage, whether you're in school renting a place or you own a house or if you're out in practice already. And as I mentioned, rent and mortgage here, let's talk a minute about that. I had a conversation just yesterday with a couple of friends of mine who are headed up to WSU and trying to figure out if they should rent a house or buy a house or rent a trailer or buy a trailer. And there's really pros and cons both ways. The advantage to buying something, whether it's a house or a trailer in vet school, is that you're building equity. You're not just, quote, unquote, throwing your money away every month. You have something that whenever you're ready to move or upgrade to a different place, you have something you can sell. Now, of course, the downside with putting equity in something is if the stock market crashes again, you could be underwater in your house like so many different places were, especially places like Arizona that got hit really hard. So equity can be a good thing if the market stays where it is or improves. It can be a risk if it goes down a little bit. Another benefit to owning your own house is the, the interest payments for your mortgage can be written off taxes, which, especially as you progress as an associate veterinarian, having those tax write-offs can be really handy. On the downside, they're pretty straightforward, but first and foremost, when you own the house, if something goes wrong, you're stuck paying for it. There's no landlord to go to. The other big issue is if you own it, and let's say you relocate or you're in school now and you graduate, you're now stuck with a property that you either have to try to sell, which could be easy in college towns, or if you don't sell it, you have the option to rent it out to someone to try to get some of that recurring revenue coming in, but renting has its own host of headaches, especially if you're not local, trying to find somebody to manage that for you. So, yeah, definitely some pros and cons there. I'll never forget when I was just getting out of college and trying to figure out where to live. My dad told me, he said, never rent. You're just throwing your money away. And while it is true that when you're renting, you're kind of throwing your money away, there are some advantages to renting, namely that you have a landlord who, assuming it's a good landlord, takes care of your issues for you. And when you're done at school or when you're ready to move on to that next job, for whatever reason may be, you don't have any attachments. You can finish out your rent and you're able to move on. That's a long-winded way to tell you I can't give you perfect advice on whether to rent or own a home. There really are pros and cons both ways, and you just have to evaluate your lifestyle and what you want out of it. The other type of expense I mentioned are variable expenses, and those are things like utilities, entertainment, pet care tends to be really big for us. So making sure you have both your fixed costs as well as your variable costs or expenses in a budget is key to making sure you stay on track. Just as when you get into practice, 
So many practice owners are guilty of creating these budgets or setting these goals for themselves, but then they never track the numbers, and it doesn't do anybody any good. A budget's the same way. You can have the perfect budget. You can do every single thing we just talked about, your income, all your expenses, but if you go let it sit on your computer or stick it away in a folder and never look at it, it doesn't help us. What I recommend doing, and trust me, I travel a lot, and I know it's easier said than done sometimes, but try to take a look at your budget at the end of every month, going through your credit card statements, your bank statements, just like we should be balancing our checkbooks. Make sure that our budget is staying up to date so that if anything major changes, maybe a new source of income or a loss of income or some big new expense, we can make appropriate adjustments throughout the year. Whether you're a student or a recent graduate, I've got some tips to help you make the most out of your money on this budget. Whether you're on loans or working for a paycheck, I've been in enough veterinary schools and around enough veterinary students to know that if I tell you not to go spend money on Starbucks, most of you are going to laugh at me. I'll do some quick math just to show you that there's a point behind why people tell you that. I know the average cost of Starbucks is probably $4. I know a lot of students who get Starbucks seven days a week, sometimes multiple cups seven days a week. So doing the quick math here, $4 a day, seven days a week, that's $28 a week times 52 weeks a year, you're spending about $1,400 a year in Starbucks. I saw a report from U.S. News & World saying the average graduate student, this was not just veterinary medicine, but the average graduate student spends about $10,000 in four years on Starbucks. I love coffee. I drink a lot of coffee, but there's things that we can do to be better stewards of our money, whether it's loan money, which we're going to have to pay back at some point in time, or a salary is coming in for us. For example, Instead of buying a cup of Starbucks every day, go get a Keurig. I know they're not cheap, but if you, if you love coffee, get a Keurig. Get a coffee maker, and you'll save money in the long run. Other things that we can do early in our careers, I know nowadays TV is fading out anyway, but the, the, the price of cable is increasing more and more. I saw a report the other day saying they're guessing for your, a lot of the big cable groups, about $123 a month is what cable is going to cost you. I have a lot of friends who already use Apple TV or Hulu, Netflix, uh, try to find other ways to get your, your television fixed other than paying for cable every month. Another one, this seems really simple, but I was just at the school not too long ago and noticed it. I was at a, a buddy's house, and he's a vet student, and they had almost crates of bottled water saved up there in the house that they were taking, you know, when they're running out on clinics and that kind of stuff, going and buying a reusable water bottle. I know it sounds silly and sounds small, but just look for little things like that to slowly start saving up money. Not one thing may make a huge difference, but all these little things put together will make a difference. And when you're paying 6.8% interest on student loans, it really does pay off the long run. Last piece of advice is to really understand your loan repayment options. I'm not an expert in that. The ABMA has a great toolkit, great site that really explains all the options that are available, what you have to do to qualify. Don't just assume you're stuck with what you've got. Go out there, do your research, and figure out what's going to be best for you. Creating and utilizing a budget I know it may seem a little bit mundane, but it's the first step in setting yourself up for personal financial success, and that's why we reviewed it today. Thank you for joining us as we discussed how to build and utilize a budget. Please listen in on our next session, Investment Strategies for Each Stage of Your Career, Part 1, to learn how to make your money work for you. We hope you discovered a few takeaways from Stith's remarks. We encourage you to take what you have learned and put it into action. Don't wait to take that next step in achieving your financial goals. Each day you wait could mean the difference between realizing your dreams or not. Make sure you check out the rest of this special series on financial planning. We'd like to thank Hills Pet Nutrition for partnering with Vetfolio to bring you this great series. If you'd like to share your comments and thoughts on this podcast or other Vetfolio podcasts, please email us at support at vetfolio.com.